Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball, um, the podcast that everybody is talking about in hoops and in life, where what I try and do is we talk about some of the topics in the sport, and then we get a guest on and we talk about their life. This one is no different. John Sunvold, and I'm just so you know, he, he's not listening to me right now. John Sunvold's a little bit of my idol. One as a player, he's a great one. He won four straight Big Eight titles at Missouri, was a first-round draft pick of the Seattle Supersonics. And uh, after that, he went into broadcasting after being a player. The, the, we're not even going to get into the broadcaster side in the first two episodes of this pod. It's so good. But it's more, here's a kid who was born, kind of grew up South Dakota to Nebraska, moved around, moved to an area outside of Kansas City when he was, I think, in seventh grade. He'll get to that. And uh, became a great, great player. And what was it like playing for Norm Stewart? What was it like playing in the Big Eight? What was it like becoming an NBA draft pick? And what was it like playing in the NBA? There's some incredible stories uh, in these first in these these first couple pods. So we, I also want to get to. I was at the Kentucky Kansas game. I called it for Westwood One, and I I think I know Kentucky is better than Kansas. I don't think they're 20 points at the half better than Kansas. I, I didn't like. The game plan from Kansas, like, look, if you're going to play against Kentucky on made baskets and granted part of it is there, Kentucky has become very good defensively. You got to make some baskets, but you need to pressure to slow them down. And you give Shavir Wheeler uh, a chance to push the ball and get to the free throw line or below, or he throws that ball up the court and they get to shoot and score and quick. They just they play a great style for their personnel. They'll shoot quick. If not, they'll get into some ball screen action with Shibway. He's a monster inside. Um, he's using his depth really well. He's got guys bought into their role. Whereas I, I still think Kansas is, I know they were ranked fifth. They're not the fifth best team in the country. Tech should have gotten them at, at home on Monday night. I, I still think Kansas is uh, feeling the, the, the effects of uh, that long NCAA investigation where it's hurt them in recruiting because they, they basically have David McCormick and they're just a limit. You have one freshman big coming off the bench and he's an athlete, a project, you know, I mean, they're, they're still not nearly as deep as they need to be. And I think Bill knows that. And he's just kind of trying to figure out who the third guard's going to be. And when, um, when, when your starters don't play well, there's not a lot of answers on that bench. But I, I, Kentucky's better than Kansas. Kentucky might well be the best team in the country. Them, they were remember they were beating Auburn before Ty Ty Washington got hurt. But I want to get the opinion of of John Sunvold, who covers the SEC for the SEC Network and covers Kentucky and saw them. We, we had a long talk before and after the the Texas A and M game. So let's do that. Let's let's get some SEC Big Twelve reaction, and then we'll get into the John Sunvold story. Um. Okay. I want to do. Um, um, we're going to work backwards to your story, but we just, we came out of SEC Big 12. Okay. Uh, okay. And l- we'll do a little timeliness here before we get to the meat of what I want to get to. Cool. But um, your reaction to the weekend where Bama beats uh, Baylor and Kentucky goes in and kicks the hell out of Kansas at Kansas. And, and the rest of the challenge we can kind of talk about. I mean, Auburn, Oklahoma was going to be a mismatch regardless, you know, and some of the other ones don't matter. But right. when the top two teams 
go in and get smacked like that. Um, what did I, I hate the conference versus conference thing. Right. But th- there is something to what's building in the SEC. What's kind of your thoughts after watching this weekend? Well, I think you're right about what's what's building in the SEC uh, because of, of what this SEC stands for. Right. They, they just keep pushing the envelope uh, bigger, better. You know, when you take these kind of games, I always wonder which road team will win of the whole thing. Which, which team could go on the road? So if I if I had handicapped it beforehand, I said, OK, maybe Baylor, but I didn't pick Baylor to win. Uh, maybe LSU to TCU, but home court, maybe Kansas State at Ole Miss. Two similar teams. Whole court held. So now you take the two, the two big dogs, right? The two big ones, Kentucky and Kansas. Uh, the Kentucky team we saw is a Kentucky team that's as, as good as anybody. We've seen them. Uh, they've done it against North Carolina. They've done it against Tennessee where they're – if all their guys are healthy and they're doing what they do, they can, they can win the whole thing. And, and, and that's what we saw at Kansas. So surprising, yeah, because it's Kansas. You've been there. I've been there. Nobody goes in there and does that. But uh, Cal's team did it. So, you know, anytime these matchups, all I do is look for which road team can win. That, that's the whole thing because most of the time – Hold, hold uh, the home teams hold their court. You know, when you started with the SEC network, I, I think the league was very different. And now, yeah. now it's the level of investment, I would say, in coaches. I also think in facilities. Um, I'm guessing in resources. I don't know. But why, why do you think it's changed so much here? Kind of last five years where there's a tremendous depth of quality programs in the league. You know, Doug, there was an emphasis – let's say five or six years ago to, you know what, if the SEC is great in football and softball and baseball and golf and on and on and on, why aren't they in basketball? It doesn't have to be just be Kentucky. So every school has invested. You see the coaches that have been hired every place, right? And the facilities, when you put a good coach that's been somewhere, that's gone to a final four and comes into a new place, uh, it, it, I'm not going to say rejuvenates a fan base because most of some of these places, it starts a fan base. What Bruce Pearl has done at Auburn, uh, what Rick Barnes reignited at Tennessee because they've, they've had it in the past years. Um, when you do that, the fan bases, it's a little bit, a little bit like the old big eight, the big 12, where you knew every home court was probably pretty good, probably hard to win. Even as down as some teams are in this league, uh, Missouri's not very good. Georgia's not that good right now. But you don't walk in there and win. I mean, Alabama goes up to Missouri, and Consul Martin's team was tough and physical, and they beat them. So it's this league now has become what Big 12 is and what the Big 10 is, where no, there's no easy game. You go on the road, you better be ready. Um, okay, let, let's, let's discuss Missouri before getting to your Missouri career. Is it, are they in the wrong league? Is it why do you think they've that like I, I think they're in the wrong league in football, right? That as it's really, really hard when you know in your kind of recruiting circumference, right? There's just right. not enough players, right? Not not enough players, not enough depth of players. And then yeah. if you're gonna go into where the players are, 
to why would you go there as opposed to going to Florida or Georgia or Bama or Auburn or whatever. It's now you're fighting for the second and third tier. It's hard, you know, and if they're in the, I think the big 10 would have been hard for them too. the big 10. Similarly, like incredible investment, like the big 12 fit in that they were closer to the top of the food chain resource wise. There wasn't the, the depth of overall talent. And yes, early on, they did well in the SEC, but they would have done well in the, in the big, big, big 12 as well. Okay. So, but that's not, that's not basketball. Basketball, you got St. Louis, you got Kansas City, you got the new facility. Why hasn't it hit in so long? You know, I, I, I can't answer that because it should hit, right? Uh, you know the tradition of the years Missouri was good and the stretches Missouri was good, and they've got the players in the state. Um, you don't get every home state kid, but you sure can get seven out of ten over the years, right? And every other year, there's probably a pro out of St. Louis or every third or fourth year, a pro out of Kansas City. You have to get those kids and the commitment by whether it's the current coach or former coaches, if they couldn't get it, didn't get it done. Uh, and, that, and that's going to probably weigh on Conzo, right? That, that the fan base looks and says, OK, why, why is that kid from St. Louis going to wherever they're going? You know, and, and that's just that's the way it is on most programs. You can't let. The in-state. And, you know, today kids talk. So if you got a kid from St. Louis and his buddy is in Atlanta, right, you might get him. They didn't build on the Porter brothers, uh, didn't quite recruit from those two, even though, you know, Michael played, what, one game was hurt and played at the end of the year two games, uh, SEC tournament, one NCAA. Um, they didn't really build on any of that. So that's where the struggle is. It, it, it's a, there's there's yeah. also, um, well, look, when we went into the Hearn Center, that place was a zoo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I know you have to, and look, Oklahoma State is the same problem, right? right. Where where you, you build this beautiful building, it's a little bit too big. You know, they have other factors with the Thunder, I think, when the Thunder were good. I think every game being on TV. But games were on TV, Back when they were in the Big 12, games were on TV early on the SEC. It, I, is it just simply you got to win and then people will come? Or is there something else that's keeping people from getting in their cars? Because that used to be, I mean, when Norm was there, that that was a, an incredible environment. Incredible. And it's just not, even though that facility is awesome. Well, the Mizzou Arena, it, it's proven it can be uh, when Kim English and his group was here. Yeah. Uh, with Frank Hayden that year was off the chart. I mean, off the chart as far as noise. Not like the Hearn Center because that was built differently. Uh, I, I would think you got to win. I mean, I watch most fan bases across the country. If you win, people kind of show up. If you don't, it's easy to watch it. I mean, it's easy to stay home. That's, that's just the reality of it. I do think coaches now become more marketers than they've ever been, right? The sales guys that go on campus and sell their product and are in the community that sell their product, Seem to be getting people. And if you don't do that, then then you better win at a high percentage or people, uh, they kind of lay back a little bit. Let's go back to your original thought of, of the older generation in Missouri are used to seeing, uh, if Missouri played Iowa State, now they played them coming up, but they play at Iowa State. But if Iowa State was coming here or Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, older people might go, oh, we remember those guys. The SEC's they, they, that's that, that, that's the thing. That's the thing that that I did the last time I think Kansas State played there. It was Kim English's year, and K State beat them. And my right. point I made then 
is my point I remain, which is like, you can't make up history. You know, you can't just create, oh, Arkansas is our rival now. Correct. You know, that you played Kansas State for 100 years. Like yeah. everybody talks about the Kansas game and the Kansas game was big. You played Kansas State for 100 years. Yeah. Played Iowa State for 60, 80 years. Played Oklahoma State. And 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 there's there's two parts to a fan base which are important. The, the students who are loud and crazy, you got to get them. But then there's the that older generation because the people in the middle with wives and kids and lives, they're only going to show up for the big ones, right? Yeah, you're right. But the old people, they show up for the traditional ones. And I think cutting out that tradition, specifically in a sport of basketball, I think it really has made it a much more challenging proposition to get people in the building. Well, if you think that there is not a team that comes to Mizzou Arena that people dislike. I mean, Missouri people don't dislike Kentucky. They don't dislike Vanderbilt, there's not a team that comes that they go, oh, we hate these guys. Now, Arkansas, because it's a border state, you can make up some things. Maybe you get a fight or two in football. Maybe you get a fight. And, you know, it, it slowly grows. But it, there's no hatred. There, there's absolutely no – if Kentucky shows up, people will show up because they want to see Kentucky, right? They want to yeah. see the big dudes. Who are these guys? They're going to be pros. I, again, we could schedule Oklahoma State next week. And the older generation would go, hey, let's go see the Cowboys. And some would think that Eddie Sutton's still alive and coaching, right? Because they, they haven't paid attention. Right. But, but, but the name is the name. And that's, you know, generationally, it'll take a long time for Missouri to have any kind of rival like that. But again, if they were good, if Missouri was good in basketball and they filled it up, what happens when you're good is that you'll naturally get rivalries because you'll have unbelievable battles whether again, whether it's a fight, whether it's a technical, whether it's a made shot at the buzzer that shouldn't have counted, that's what starts it all. And but, it, but it, 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 it is it is funny if you think about it, like to this day, if I were to go to an Oklahoma State fan and I would say Missouri, they would say, God, I hate Jason Sutherland. <laughs> I hate that guy. Yeah, right, right, right. right. I hate that guy, right? Right. There's a guy and and you know, you go to Missouri fan and say Oklahoma, you say, hmm, Eduardo Nahra. I hate that guy. I can't stand that guy. Billy Tubbs didn't like him. Kelvin Sampson didn't like him. He's a cheater. You know, like it, it really, and it's amazing. Like I, I, I understand the financial yeah. aspects of it. I, I get it. You're making a lot more money, but you're spending a bunch more money in order to play in that, in that, uh, in that sandbox. And you're cutting off a hundred years of, of history. All right. Speaking of that history, did you grow up in Missouri? You, you're Kansas City, right? That's that's where you. I know you weren't born in Kansas City, but you grew up in Kansas City. Yeah, I moved there seventh grade. I grew up in. Uh, well, I was born in South Dakota, so I'm the okay. youngest of four boys. Uh, lived there till third grade. We, my my mom and dad, we moved to Nebraska outside of Lincoln for three years. Uh, third grade to sixth grade. When I lived outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, I lived in Seward, Nebraska. The the Cornhuskers won two national championships in football, so I had big red in my blood. Seventh grade, start seventh, I moved to Missouri. So really, I was a Missouri kid, not a Missouri fan. I was a big eight fan. Uh, from a basketball standpoint, followed Nebraska just because I was a football fan. But I was a Kansas State fan. In uh, the history, would if you go back, Lon Kruger was playing in the early 70s when I was a young, young kid. Wow. They had two guards, uh, Mike Evans and Chucky Williams. Uh, in the mid 70s. So I'm, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, you know, that's K-State was phenomenal. So I was probably a K-State guy. And the games we got on TV, 
you always had a Saturday afternoon game. And then after that game was a UCLA game. I mean, that was kind of like every week, right? So you became a UCLA fan because they were on every week. But the Big 8 game would always be Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri, Kansas, Missouri, Kansas State. It was it was that. So I didn't grow up a Missouri fan, even though I grew up on the Missouri side of Kansas City from junior high on. Were you only a hooper or were you because because I don't know if you know this, you know, my, you know my dad coached Lon. Yeah, uh, as, a, as a freshman, and and then uh, I think, and then as a sophomore on on varsity, whatever. And Lon, like people, I don't know if people know, like was a great baseball player, drafted, yeah, in in major leagues in baseball, and was Big Eight Player of the Year. Yeah, um, so obviously a different era. But were you a one or two or three sport dude? No, I played. Uh, I was really my, my my favorite thing was track. I was a track guy. So, but I played. I'm youngest of four boys, so I played football up until my sophomore year. Uh, when we were freshmen in high school, we couldn't play up on the varsity. So I just played freshman football, freshman basketball. Now, the end of my freshman year, the varsity coach, because we were in a separate building, came and said, we're going to put you on the varsity the last three games of the season and then the district tournament. They weren't very good. Uh, The closest brother to me, three years older, was a senior. I was a freshman. So when the high school coach came and said, we're going to put you – on for the last three games, I said, uh, no, thanks. Because <laughs> my I had they had three senior guards that rotated being average. I don't mean it in a bad way, but they were average. So he was going to take this freshman and start me and not. You said no? I said no. I, I, I had a brother. My brother was that that would have caught that. Not only would my brother been pissed, the, the two other seniors. I mean, they might have killed me. I don't know. So I said no. So so the reality was. When I got to be a sophomore, I did. I quit playing football, but I was a track guy. I was a track guy from when I was a kid. I was a pole vaulter and a hurdler. Pole vaulter? Yeah, yeah. And a hurdler. How about this? So I grew up in a, in a town, Canton, South Dakota, where my parents, they were married at 18 years old, had their first child at 20. Canton, South Dakota was 2,500 people. But they had a football coach who was the track coach. The Sun Bowl brothers, four of us within six years, we were pole vaulting. Uh, I was pole vaulting at the age, second grade, third grade. You would go down to the carpet store. They used to come in bamboo pole. The carpet would be wrapped in bamboo pole. The, the carpet guy would save us the straightest bamboo pole you had. Uh, you taped it up. My dad worked at a lumber yard. You made standards. We landed on our feet on a mat in the backyard. You had a whole, we had a pole vault pit. So I pole vaulted since I was a kid. So we get this. I moved to Missouri go out for the track. And again, I was very fast, go out for track. And the first day of track, the coach talking about, okay, there's things like triple jump and there's a long jump and there's a high jump. And I'm sure no one's ever pole vaulted, but you know, maybe a couple of you and I, you know, and I raised my hand, a skinny little kid. And I said, yeah, I've pole vaulted. And the guy said, you've pole vaulted. I said, yeah. He said, with what? I said, a bamboo pole taped. Now my older brothers had pole vaulted with a fiberglass pole and they were high school guys. My oldest brother, Bob, who, you know, was now in college, but he had pole vault in high school. So the guy said, you know, what? let me see if you can pole vault. I'll give you, he gave me a steel pole, like a steel pole has no give. But he put a bar up at seven foot. I run down, stick the steel pole up very stiff. But because it's it's speed, it's all speed. And then going elevate up, I just fly over the seven foot. And he's just like, my goodness. So I was running in junior Olympic events in eighth and ninth grade. Um, and I remember I was at an event at Kansas track, KU track, and we got a call. My parents got a call from a guy in LA 
<clears throat> this was in 76. So after the Bruce Jenner world, right? Sure. Greatest athlete in the world that we all watched. There was a guy in LA that wanted to take me my sophomore year to train me because the decathlon, obviously it's running and strength, but I was already doing the skill events and it was fast. And what I needed to learn how to do was either shot put or the discus or whatever part of their thing was. Cause I was, a, I could run. And so, but anyway, we didn't, I didn't do that. And I, I was a track guy up until my senior year. I couldn't because I played in an all-star game in basketball in Texas, U.S. All-Stars versus the Texas All-Stars. So Isaiah and Ray McCoy and different guys were playing Clyde Drexler and them. And I come back for my senior year track in the state of Missouri said, you, you can't run track. So, but that was the end of my track career. But what, I was was, what, was the, what was the high, what was your, your. Uh... Went 14, I think 14-3 as a sophomore, junior. I got hurt my junior year. I tore a quad muscle in a district meet. So that was kind of the. That was kind of the end of my track stuff. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. When did you know you had a shot in basketball? You know, I don't, I don't know. I could always play. My, my three brothers played junior college basketball, and then my oldest, Bob, played at South Dakota State, which then was Division II. So when you're when you're in a small town, I thought that was my path. My dad said, you guys are going to college, you're paying your own way. But as a sophomore uh, in Kansas City, I was doing my thing, uh, becoming recruitable by maybe smaller schools at the time. And then by my junior year, I'd already gone through that and Nebraska was calling and Kansas State and Kansas. I played out in uh, Georgia, Milledgeville, Georgia, had a BC camp. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, B- BC all-star camp, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Milledgeville, Georgia. So I went out there class of 79 is Dominique. And, and the, the three big guys was Ralph Sampson, Sam Bowie, Steve Stepanovich, who became my teammate, Isaiah and Paxson and Byron Scott and Antoine cars and worthy and Dominique. I mean, it was an unbelievable class. So I went out there and I played well. And then you never signed early. You signed after your senior year, but but through the junior year, I was starting to be recruited by everybody. So then you kind of, I never thought I could play. I never looked at that like I would play there, like I would right. play at that level. I never thought about that. So, okay, so you get home and now people are recruiting you. Um, who was at K-State at the time? Uh, Jack Hartman. Okay. And uh, Rolando. And Jack, didn't, Jack didn't recruit. He never, <laughs> he didn't go anyway. At least that was my dad's story. It was just like, yeah, he wasn't. That wasn't, he wasn't recruiting. Like that wasn't his, he would, now I'm not saying he wouldn't offer and do the visits and all that stuff. But right. It wasn't like he was at the camp taking notes and right, and right. showing up at your game at, at 8 a.m. just to say, see so you were there. So, okay. So it was Kate, who, who were the schools? Well, it was really more, it became more Midwest. Cause I, I, even though there were, there were contacts from the outside that didn't seem to be my world. So let, let's go. Arkansas at the time was a powerhouse. They went to the final four, my, Junior in high school, they went to the final four. Coach Sutton. Uh, so, yeah, Eddie Sutton. Yeah, Moncrief and those guys. Uh, Texas, Abe Lemons was high on my list. Kansas was Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri, Iowa. So, really became regional. Um, so, wait, wait. Did you have a – was there a conversation with Abe Lemons? Because if so, like that, this can – we can completely divert the entire podcast, right? For, for people who haven't – that don't know basketball – 
Abe yeah. Lemons is anybody who you think is quotable is at one level. And Abe Lemons is seen as above like comedic level. Yeah. Valvano before Valvano's sort of. Um, but but that that kind of Oklahoma super dry, sarcastic wit. Did you did you what is there an Abe Lemons story in there? Yeah. For, so Valvano for, for right before the Valvano recruited me, he was at Iona. He sees yeah. me in Georgia. And again, there's no cell phones back in those days, right? So they would either call your home or really they'd call your high school coach. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget. And my high school coach was in there and said, Hey, there's a guy on the phone. And so I go in, it's Jim Valvano. And he said, he said, I'm Jim, Vol- Jim Valvano and I own a college. I own a college. And I'm thinking, you own, I don't know what he's saying. I own a college. I own a, yeah. I own a college. And I'm kind of, I don't know who he is, but then he talks about Jeff Rulin, et cetera, et cetera. So, that one. No, Abe Lemons. The, here's what's here's what's interesting. You had Eddie Sutton at Arkansas that played a certain way, mm-hmm. and Abe played the opposite way, right? So Abe, how, how so? Abe Lemons was. They were more undisciplined at, at Texas, and they ran and shot it and did whatever. They had a kid named Jimmy Crevax who was a white guard who just came off picks and just shot it. He just shot it. So they would send me the little tapes. Uh, you know, and say that you're Crevax. Just think you're Crevax. You're going to run around and just shoot all the time. But anyway, uh, Abe came up and visited twice uh, my hometown. My grandparents were from South Dakota. Uh, my gr- grandfather was an old cowboy country, owned a farm, big man and big barrel chested. So when Abe came, my grandparents would come down for about a month in the winter watch my brother was at a junior college in Kansas City I was playing high school they just watch these games because there's their grandkids so Abe comes I think Abe talked to my granddad for probably two hours I went outside and messed around with my buddies like Abe he sold my my grandpa that that's the guy like I mean and then he came one time to our gymnasium and, and people just I mean you know he just he was funny. He was good. It was funny. I, my first official visit ever was University of Texas, which, you know, for a first visit for a kid from small town, when you get to that place, your eyes were, you know, I mean, it's like, my God. Wait, so, but you're from South Dakota, but Nebraska, but I thought you're in Kansas City. Where, where are you in Kansas City? Uh, Blue Springs, which is a suburb. It's uh, east, probably about 10 miles east of uh, Arrowhead Stadium. On I okay, so, but it was much smaller then, right? The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of now growing it, but it was smaller. Um, I will say this: my class, high school class, was the first one of with four hundred kids, so it was kind of multiplying as we were growing. Uh, my brother, three years ahead, might have had one hundred and twenty kids in their class, so right. we were kind of the first of the big classes. So, yeah. say, say, what do you remember about your visit? Uh, I couldn't believe how pretty the girls were, how big the place was, and. I think it was the only visit I had where the guy who the, the player that showed me around for a while, he turned me over to an alumni that showed me around for a while. And so, so the alumni who showed me around, uh, I was on the same visit with um, LaSalle Thompson. LaSalle ended up going there. <laughs> and so LaSalle from Cincinnati, I think, but it, it it was it was interesting because the alum was just say, here's how it works at Texas. And then his, his, his most important point was just beat Arkansas. That that's what you need to do when you come here. But no, it was big. It was eye opening. It was eye opening. 
Um, how did you turn down Kansas State if you grew up a Kansas State fan? You know, it, it started growing in the fact that um, here was a wise move, maybe by Norm Stewart. My brother, Bob, six years older than me, uh, was at South Dakota State, was going to go to law school, then decided to go into coaching. I think he was one year grad assistant there. And he wrote letters to all the big eight schools and Norm hired him. And I might have been a junior in high school then. Um, Bob wasn't allowed to recruit me from my mom and dad, but, you know, he could he could tell me a lot of things going on with the program that no one else could. And the reality was it got down to really Missouri and Arkansas. Um, Arkansas, here's here's another good one. Arkansas in 79. The first round of the NCAA tournament were played on campuses and they were playing at Allen Fieldhouse. So Moncrief senior year, I'm a senior high school. My dad and myself, we get two front row tickets right behind the bench. Arkansas beat. That's a mistake. It's a mistake for, the, for, for Arkansas, I guarantee. I don't know if you ever, you've never listened to my pod. I'll tell you, tell you my, my visit that was like that and, and why I didn't go there. Go ahead, go. So, but here's what's cool. Moncrief and Arkansas, I, I think they beat Weber State. I, that, that's on my mind. But the next game was Indiana State, Larry Bird. So for a kid, uh, you know, when Bird walked out and they had two sheriff patrol by him, uh, I mean, it was pretty cool. Like, you're like, holy smokes, right? The, here's the real guy. Well, so, so what was it? What was it? What was the Larry Bird experience like? What was he like in college? I, I, this is before me. It's only I, I'm everything I know is is legend. What, what do you remember about watching Larry play? Well, because, because of what he was doing that year, right? They were undefeated and he was the talk of the world and they weren't on a lot, but they were on a little bit, but then here we got to see him up close. I, it was, it was um, probably the, the, the greatest thing a kid could see because he was, he was bigger than life. Like he wasn't some six, six forward, right? He's six ten, six ten and a half, shooting it from wherever dominating a college game that most didn't dominate. Not dom- he just dominated. He toyed with everybody. Uh, and and shit, I was in the first row just watching and, and admiring. Now, again, that's right after watching Sidney Moncrief do his thing for Arkansas, but in a different way. You know, Sidney was disciplined and doing all this stuff, and Bird was just out there chit-chatting and saying stuff, and you couldn't hear it all. I heard it more when I was a pro than I could uh, that day. But, uh, no, it was – it was a treat, but uh, so you're you're saying you shouldn't sit right behind the bench. Well, okay, so here's I've told this on the pod a little bit. So Jerry Green was at Oregon, and yeah. uh, Turge was on staff. Mark Turgeon was on staff, and a guy named Darren Kalish was on staff. And so this, when I transferred from uh, Notre Dame, I sat out a year at junior college, and I did so for a for really for one reason, which was I when I because you commit early, like I remember committing in assigning in November. Right. And I went to see Notre Dame play in December and they played Lola Marymount. And I was like, woof, they're not great. And they won that game. Then they played San Diego like two nights later and they're down 31 at the half. And I turned to my dad and was like, what did we do? You know, cause the only time we watched Notre Dame play was they played UCLA every year. Right. And that was, I remember them playing UCLA and maybe playing Indiana. I was like, you know, I went there and, the fight song and the be, I was going to be the starting point guard in the big East and all that stuff, John McLeod, but I'd never really watched him play. And I watched him play like, Oh shit, what did I do? <laughs> so, um, 
So I like bowed to myself as much as I want. There's a couple of schools. Huggins wanted me to transfer into Cincinnati and being a problem child, that seemed to fit. You know, they need a point guard. But I was like, nah, I'm going to sit this year. My high school coach my freshman year was a junior college coach. So I practiced with them and then I would help him coach in the games or I'd go and see, I had a girlfriend and my brother was at Cal Poly. My girlfriend was at UC Santa Barbara. So I'd go up there for a weekend and watch a couple of, watch a couple of games. Um, anyway, so I took my visits during the season. I wanted to see what these teams were like and what it would feel like. Uh, so I actually visited Oklahoma state the day before I go to Oregon they're taking on Arizona. That was the year Arizona won the national championship. And they actually, Oregon actually won the game. But the old Mac court, they had bleachers that the players sat on. Um, the, they, they did do a renovation before they closed it down where the players were in chairs. But this is before that. So this is 1997. So 1997, the players are in on the end of the bleachers. They had little paddings for them to sit on. And then you could sit basically with your knees backing up to the players. So Jerry Green was a North Carolina system guy. So their big sale was, hey, we have, we got a point guard who can take himself in and out of the game. He calls the offense. He calls the defense. It was great. Like, I'm like, this is awesome. Come yeah. sit, watch. You'll see how much the kid's name is Kenya Wilkins, who I played against. I'm going up really good LA guard. Um, and he, they were right. He did. He called the defense. He took himself in and out of the game. You know, the problem is, though, when you're sitting and you've been on every bench ever yeah. is the second that coach comes down and takes you out and, and walks away, the chatter starts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the chatter starts. Yeah. And 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 Jerry, again, Carolina guy, like I hate the way they sub. They just I, I don't. There's hockey substitutions. Guys are running in and out. And the players were not into the substitution rotation. They won the game. Right. And throughout the game, like this motherfucker doesn't know what he's like. It's unbelievable. And I'm just sitting there. And, and Oregon was a little weird for me. At, you know, I was just, I, I mean, I was at Notre Dame, which is this pristine Catholic school. And I go and, and they beat Arizona and Kyle Milling, who's been on the pod. He, he, he was my, he was my AU teammate and host. We went to a party and it was like Cheech and Chong's van. And it was, it was a little, I was like, man, I don't know. Like, this is a little much for me. This is a little wild, but a good portion. I, I, you want guys to be kind of embedded in the program sort of, but that was a little bit too deep of being embedded because the bench chatter sometimes, you know, if, if you're not, if you don't know, like, Hey, that it, it, it still works. Like I was just like, damn. Um, so that was, I, I think that's a, it's a bad idea to sit behind a bench, you know, uh, it, it, it takes the, it takes the right ear. Uh, okay. Wait, see, so you saw them play and you still turned down Arkansas. Like what, what yeah. was, I mean, obviously your brother being at Mizzou helps. So, so here, here's, here's the whole thing of going to Missouri. They're recruiting Steve Stepanovich, right? The big seven footer from DeSmet high school in St. Louis, uh, recruited by everybody. And again, he's one of the big three, Ralph Sampson, Sam Bowie, Steve Stepanovich. Who's going to get him? Carolina Duke. Who's going to get him? Steve and I meet uh, at a basketball game, Missouri versus Kansas, uh, at the Hearn Center, sit by each other, know each other because of who we are, right? You, you know each other, hadn't been to camps together, uh, visited a little bit. I started thinking about, I want to go where there's a good center. 
And Arkansas had Scott Hastings was a freshman. He'd been one year older than me, and he was going to be good. Um, Kansas State, I didn't think for sure what they were doing with their recruiting. Texas was fine because I thought LaSalle was going to go there. <clears throat> Kansas was recruiting me. They always had players. I mean, Kansas had probably intimidated, intimidated me with Kansas uh, because they always had these national players, and I wasn't sure I could play there. It was Ted Owens, right? Yeah, Ted. But they had Darnell Valentine. And I mean, you know, just great, great talent. One night at the, at the Final Four, uh, Bird Magic, they played on Monday night. The Dude, semi- Salt Lake City. And my finals were on Saturday. I get a call Saturday night from Steve Stepanovich. He said, hey, where are you thinking of going? I said, I don't know. I have, I have my official visit left next weekend in Arkansas. And I said to him, are you going to Notre Dame? Because that was he, – he went to a Catholic high school – Digger had him locked up. And Steve says, and again, these are two 17-year-old kids. Steve says, you know, I, I don't really know about that. And I'm on the phone going, well, what are you thinking? And I'm not sure which of the others said, well, we could both go to Missouri. And as we talked for about five more minutes, because neither one of us said a whole lot, I, you know, we both said, if you go, I'll go. And I told Steve, I said, okay, but I still have a visit to go to Arkansas and I still want to go on the official visit. I'd been down there a few times. We had a local alum in my hometown of Blue Springs would fly me down to go to Barnhill and watch, you know, watch some games. So Sunday passes. I don't even tell my parents about the conversation. I don't tell them. Monday, the bird magic matchup. I'm in my gym shooting around in my high school gym. Uh, Gary Garner, they Missouri put, had an assistant come to my high school every day, and they had an assistant go to Steve's high school every day, every day. And I would, you know, we're about an hour and a half from Columbia, so was Steve. And I would tell the assistant, hey, Coach Garner, you don't have to come see me every day. He said, I'm going to be here every day. He walks in the gym on that Monday. Remember, there's not, there's not Twitter, there's not social media. So he said, did you hear the news? And that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm working out with a kid named Steve Harris. Uh, Steve ended up going to Tulsa, became a pro, passed away about 10 years ago, cancer. But uh, so Steve and I are working out. He's two years younger than me. And Coach Garner walks in and said, you hear the news? I said, what news is that? Now, this is a day, two days after I talked to Stepanovich about being quiet. We'll do this, but be quiet. He said, Steve announced he's going to uh, Mizzou. I said, he did? He goes, yeah. And he said he hopes his good friend John Sunvold's going to. So I'm just standing there going, holy shit. So I leave the coach out there. Now he's talking to Steve Harris. I go in the, in the locker room. I call my dad. I call my mom first. She's at home. My dad owned a lumberyard. Call my mom. Call my dad. I said, hey, dad, I'm going to tell Coach Garner I'm going to Missouri. And my dad said, you are? I said, yeah. I said, Stepanovich and I are going together. And my dad said, you know, good. That's Fine, I'm good with that. Make sure you call the Texas coaches. Make sure you call the Arkansas coaches because that's who we were down to, those three. So I did that, walked out, literally walked out, told Coach Garner, hey, Coach, I'm going to Missouri. And he looks and says, you're what? I said, I'm, I'm going to Missouri. He said, no press conference. No, I said, no, no, I'm going to Missouri. I'm, I'm, that's it. So he runs down the hall. We go call Norm Stewart out in Salt Lake. And uh it was crazy because I'm at one side of the state. Stepanovich is on the other side of the state, right? He was McDonald's All-American, and let's say I was a top 50. Who knows? Whatever number. Uh, and yeah, it was crazy from that time forward. So it was, it was the, fun. The butterfly effect of that phone call. 
right? I mean, your your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, think, think about it because, because um, obviously now with where you live, with your investment company, with, uh, you know, your career, um, even your career as a broadcaster, like everything, it, it doesn't mean that it wouldn't have happened at Texas and Arkansas, Correct. but there's no guarantee really is amazing. It's just kind of one phone call. So, and what's interesting, my dad, my dad stayed out of it as much as he could, but he would always give me advice and say, you know, the thing you'll have as an athlete is that you will make contacts in wherever you go play. Maybe you should stay in that area. Like if you want to live in Texas, go play at the University of Texas. He would say that knowing as a 17 year old, you have no idea where you want to live. Right. I will say this. When I, I went down and watched uh, TCU play Arkansas on one of those flights with the with the alum. And I'm standing there outside the locker room in Sidney Moncrief. I'm going to talk to him afterwards. I'm standing with the assistant coach. Sydney told someone at the time, there's nothing like playing for your home state. Now, I remembered it, right? I'm standing there as a kid thinking, well, that's interesting what he said. And yeah, I, I mean, that phone call that Steve Stepanovich, he picked up the phone and said, uh, we could just stay home. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Changes your whole life. So you get there. What was it like? I was hard. Uh, division one's hard, right? And I was, a, I'm not saying a hot shot kid, but I scored 30 points a game and 12 assists. And But you get to a, a program that's division one, it's tough. And Norm Stewart was tough. And early on, I was coming off the bench and just doing my thing, right? I could, I didn't play because I could make shots. I played because I could guard guys. I handled the ball without making mistakes and I could make free throws. So I joined a team that we lost, a, we lost a guard at semester to grades, and now I'm a starting guard. Next to, though, Larry Drew, who's still coaching in the NBA, I think with the Clippers. Larry Drew was one of the best point guards in the country. And we had an unbelievable team. Um, made it to the Sweet 16. Could have been maybe the best team I ever played on, and I was probably the weakest link as a freshman. Uh, Made big shots when I had to. If we played Kansas State and Jack Hartman ran the zone, you know, Larry Drew said, hey, Sonny, we're going to need you tonight. You shoot it. You know, and I'd, I'd make nine bombs against their zone. You know, but regularly I was just the sidekick to Larry Drew, right? Just I might guard the best guard on the other team. It took pressure off Larry. Again, handle the basketball, don't make mistakes, make free throws. So that team was really good. We, we well, we still have the record, 57.3% field goal percentage. Um, unheard of and uh, team average 78 points a game shooting 57%. So we were good. We upset Notre Dame. We won the big eight. Missouri hadn't been winning the big eight a whole bunch. So they won in 76 first time in 40 years. So we won the big eight uh, advanced to the second round of the NCAA. We beat a Notre Dame team with um, Trapuca, Tracy Jackson, Orlando Woldridge, Rich Branning, John Paxson, wow. and we beat them, played up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And you'll appreciate this because you, you've been to Lincoln, Nebraska. It was a regional game at NCAA. Notre Dame was a heavy favorite, but we had all the Cornhusker fans on our side. Like they, they it was kind of like they, they bonded with the Big 8 school and uh, we won in overtime. So then lost in the Sweet 16 to an LSU team that supposedly was going to run us off the floor but they couldn't. And when they got the lead, 
no shot clock, stalled, did some things, but uh, that was a good team. So a rude awakening because, as you know, it's a hard it's a hard level. Um, when did you become a star? When was it? When did it become kind of your team? So the next year, Larry Drew leaves, uh, and Steve Sapanovich was great his freshman year. We come back and we're going to be nationally ranked, but we don't really have Larry Drew, and so now it, the ball's in my hands, and I wasn't ready. Not that I, I didn't work at it because I worked at it. Uh, we opened up Alaska shootout and Arkansas drills us. Uh, Daryl Walker and U.S. Reed and you know I, I, I had nightmares about those guys just ganging up on me. Ass to the glass, make them turn their ass to the glass. That was that was his thing defensively. When I was at Arkansas. Daryl Walker and Moncrief. We had the triplets. We want you to turn your ass to the glass, brother. And they could do it. And they could do yeah. it. So that season went on. Stepanovich um, got hurt, didn't play as well, struggled. Uh, another guy get hurt. We didn't have a great senior leadership. It was probably midway through the Big Eight season when we were struggling that I don't know if I figured it out that I had to emerge as more of a, a player than, than I was doing. So I led our team in scoring in the conference. Probably the greatest thing that changed me was we're down at Oklahoma State practicing, and Mr. Iba's watching. And an assistant coach came up after practice, one of our assistants, and said, Mr. Iba thinks you're pretty damn special. And I looked at the coach, and I thought, he said that about me or RT? He said, no, no, you. And honestly, I think the next night, next day, I think I had 26. And so down the stretch of my sophomore year, we somehow win seven or eight and we win the league again. We weren't very good, but we win the league again. And then, and then you just, you know what, my, my game was just growth every year. Just, just keep growing. The next year we were on a team that went 19 and 0, was undefeated, number one in the country for a while. And that was a good team. The great thing about Norm was that we, he, we would play anybody. He wanted to play anybody. And that was what he promised Panovich and myself. We'll see how good we are. So that junior, no one really wanted to play us in the Hearn Center. Uh, a lot of it, like I opened my senior year, we played North Carolina and Michael Jordan in uh, the Checker Dome in, Can in St. Louis, right? Neutral site. And we beat them. And then the next year after I graduated, Missouri went to North Carolina. Uh, we played neutral site for CBS. We played Virginia, my senior, Ralph Sampson. Uh, we went to Georgetown. The two teams that came to the Hearn Center, my senior year, Oregon State had won the Pac-10, Pac-10, whatever it was back then, Pac-8. They had won the, the uh, Oregon State had won the Pac-10. Charlie Sitton? Charlie Sitton on that team? So they'd won three years in a row. We'd won the Big Eight three years. They came to the Hearn Center. Uh, we drilled them. Absolutely drilled them. Okay, so uh, let, let's let's talk Hearn Center because it was it was a very cool place to play. And yeah. I like the Antlers. They were they were tamed by Antlers standards by the time yeah, I was there, right? Yeah. But still, there was still there was still some chants before the game that were pretty funny, pretty enlightening, right? If you take it that way. Yeah. So I remember the I remember the antlers, but I also remember like it was kind of a weird building where it was it was big and on top of you, but up top it it kind of felt like a hodgepodge. Like yeah, um, I, I always feel like people know like guys like us. We know our home arena, every nook and cranny to it. Um, what's when when your thoughts of the Hearn Center or what uh, in terms of. Um, what it was, what it was actually really like to play in, and that kind of weird sort of arc, uh, architectural setup. 
So in the four corners way up high were classrooms. They were, they were class, built for classrooms, so they could close them off for classes. Uh, that's why it was so weird up top. Most places aren't like that. You know, what I remember, again, I played there forever, and I've been there for a volleyball. It was still so steep, right? Yeah. Uh, the other part I remember why it was steep is Section D's at the very top. Uh, our Norm Stewart, if basically you shot a one and one each guy got on a bucket, you miss one of them, you, you find an avenue, a lane, and you're going to Section D and back in 30 seconds, which is not very healthy, which is a little bit screwy to think. It. But it, it made some of us really good free throws. I hated running to Section D, but it was a it was a sprint up and it's very high and then a sprint down. So you're jumping every three or four steps. It was kind of an ugly building. You yeah. know, it was gray and, and off green seats. So like when there's no fans in there, uh, shooting wise, it wasn't a great place, but it was our place. So and when we got it going, you know, I didn't see the ugly green or the gray. I mean, you know, it was loud. It was our guys. Uh, not many won. I, again, Oregon State came in. Jim Valvano, North Carolina State, came in my senior year and played us. Now, that was the year they won it, and we beat them in our place. And that was Thurl Bailey and th- those guys. And, you know, even and, and Valvano said, this place is nuts. And it, it was nuts. But when you're good, any place is good. I tell you, my favorite place was your place, uh, Stillwater. Yeah, it was the best. I played best in the smallest of arenas. I, maybe I felt bigger. I don't know what psychologically. Ahern Fieldhouse was a more, I played great at K-State, played great at Oklahoma State every year. When I got in the pros, I played great when Chicago Bulls were in their old building. Uh, San Antonio Spurs, when I was traded there, I played always played great there. The hemisphere felt smaller than these big domes in big places. So, you know, the, the Hearns was just a place where because we were winning, and we had the antlers who got to survive being close to the floor until they weren't, um, you know, it was a part of, you know, you experienced it. You, you wondered what they were going to do. Right. I mean, it was always even us. So, so the first, so our first trip up there, this is my two Missouri stories. My first trip up there, Norm's there. So what, what's interesting about coach Stewart is, um, I had heard him speak. My dad used to take me to all the final fours. Yeah. I'd heard him speak and he was hysterical. Yeah. But what was funny was unless you played um, huh? Unless you played for him, he was really Correct. funny. Correct. No, I mean they're all like that, right? Yeah. Right, right, right? And then you graduate and all of a sudden they become normal, normal human beings again. Right. You know? Um, so I had heard him speak, and it was him and Roy Williams, and then they had Johnny Orr afterwards. And I never forget the, I never forget this line. Like Johnny Orr was like, they call it the big twelve now. Ought to call it the dirty dozen. <laughs> Every one of them sons of bitches were cheating. Every one of them sons of bitches got caught cheating. And hell, we were cheating worse than worse than all of them. You know, it was one of those deals. It was very funny. So I, I knew very I had seen Mizzou play um the Melvin Booker team. Yeah. Played Louisville in the NCAA tournament at the sports arena in LA. Yeah, I was and, uh, I was doing the radio for for Mizzou. And I was so I went, I went and I was like, I, I loved how hit at least that version of coach Stewart. He kind of had three sort of positionless guards like Anthony Peeler, right. Was, was, an, you know, and they just, it was kind of take them ball. Right. It was just like, whoever got it, let's go. And they, they played, I thought they played together really well. So I liked him. And again, this year I'm sitting out. Um, there was like the first wave of schools recruiting me. And then I took my visits and then very late in the process, 
Kelvin called and Norm Stewart called. And I'm never forgetting like Norm Stewart's just like, uh, you're about six, two, aren't you? <laughs> oh, no coach. Like <laughs> not close. You know, well, I know you shoot the hell out of it. And I was just like, no coach, <laughs> not close. <laughs> you know? And I, and it was like, he offered me kind of sight unseen. I don't know if my dad had sent him a tape or something like that. Right. Um, so, but my, my two, uh, Hearn's, stories are like this so the first time we go up there we weren't supposed to be very good we were picked last in the south and we were pretty good and we hadn't played anybody in the non-conference for the most part and uh we lost like nebraska at home which anybody remembers the big 12 nebraska was the worst road team ever and they had cookie belcher and they had ty lu and they were very talented but we're up like 13 nothing start the game and we start subbing and we end up losing the game so we go up to Mizzou and coached in a bad mood and there's like an ice storm coming. So we land late and we go to have practice late and we get done and we go to the Olive Garden for dinner night before a game. And the, the, the manager of the Olive Garden could not have been any nicer. He was like, um, Coach Sutton, sir, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but like our kitchen's closed. And like Coach Sutton's like, well, you tell, you go back there and you tell Eddie Sutton his boys are hungry. <laughs> and I swear, I kid you not, like guys were checking out, they're taking off their aprons. And next thing you know, we got pasta and salad and breadsticks and we, so we go in there and it's an ice storm. So it's like half full. And it was, and, and again, those ugly seats. And I'm like, what is this place? This place sucks. You know? Yeah. And I was like, there's a lot of seats, but it's empty. We ended up losing. We had, we got, I thought we got screwed with the refs. We messed around and we ended up losing the game. But I was utterly and completely unimpressed because, like you said, it's not a particularly nice, aesthetically pleasing, nice building. Right. We come back two years later because, you know, he played every other year. And Quinn's there. And they're talented. Keon Dooling's there. They're pretty talented. And um, uh, it's a zoo. And the antlers are chanting all kinds of stuff. And the place is packed. Yeah. And we beat them. And I think they made a run the tournament that year. The next year, they made Elite Eight or something. Uh, we, we beat them, but they were real. And we actually played really, really well. We ended up beating them by like eight or 12. And about, that was probably one of the best basketball games we played. We had to raise our level and it was an absolute zoo. And I remember walking out going, I can't believe that's the same place, right? Like that place was awesome. That was one of the five best places I've ever played, but I played in the same building two years before it was half full. And I was walking out like this place sucks that those are my two Hearn center Hearn center memories. And you know, it was a great advantage. I mean, it was a great, it, when the teams were good at Missouri, it, it was hard to beat them there, to be honest. Um, okay. So you get done playing. Now, why, why do you think he could ever get to a final four? What, what, what was it that. You know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bounce of a ball here. You know, my, my junior year, we were, again, number one for a while. <clears throat> you get in the NCAA. I don't know who. I think we beat Tulsa. We meet Houston in the Sweet 16. Uh, so I'm a junior. Clyde Drexler's a junior. Rob Williams. It's funny because you go Elijah Wan, Drexler, Mishaw, uh, Michael Young. But their best player was Rob Williams, Was who was a guard. Nobody remembers him. And he went pro after that year. He was a junior my age. So they beat us in the checker dome by a point, right? A point. And that's the Houston. I mean, 
you, you have, like, I go back to my teams. I go back to other teams that they've had chances. It's a bounce of a ball. It's a missed free throw. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a hard one to figure out because you always think at some point someone would get there. Even even Booker's team, which wasn't good early, then they added a kid named Paul Olenia semester, and they go through the Big Eight undefeated, and they get out there in L.A., and they get beat by Arizona. Now, Arizona was terrific. Load. so And that was to go to the Final Four. So, you know what, whether, whether the teams weren't talented enough, I don't know about that because some were pretty good, uh, or, again – bounce a ball here or a missed shot or a screw up, you know, it, you know. what, what made him special as a coach? Uh, I would say, I would say his discipline to detail, uh, detail discipline, I should say he, everything was highly calculated. We, we, everything was practiced, right. Every situation. Now, not every player could play for him. Uh, a lot of guys transferred in today's world. I think you'd have about 10 ship out, 10 come in. No question. I loved it. Cause I was, I'm a, I'm a disciplined guy. I, I didn't like, I didn't like going to practice and jacking around. It wasn't, it's not my personality. So going to work, going to practice was good for me. Um, if, if it had to, if it had to be a detailed situation, then I loved it. And then, I'll be honest. I have the I played the most minutes of anybody in the history of Missouri. I mean, that's 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 on the board and the most minutes ever in one season. Average thirty eight minutes a game. That's what it's amazing. It's like my dream. Well, it, it is because of how Norm is, right? Because he didn't like uh, if you made a mistake, and I got that my freshman year. Yeah. But after that, the only time I came out was my senior year at Kansas. Uh, I think I was trying too hard, right? It, it's Kansas. And all of a sudden the buzzer goes off in a free throw and I'm not paying attention. And a guy taps me on the shoulder and I, I got to go out and I'm looking over like, what the hell's going on here? He sits me down, chews me out pretty good for about, I don't know, five or six, seven minutes, which to me was an eternity. And then I go back in hit a shot at the buzzer, make a steal, something at halftime. He slaps me upside the head and said, you know, that's better. But I, I understood it. And you, you, what you try to explain to other guys, when I came back to do, I came back, I wasn't getting into broadcasting. I wanted to build a financial business. The university called and said, hey, will you do the radio? And I said, no, I, no. And then Norm called the next day. We need you to do the radio. <laughs> okay, so I'll do the radio. But I remember having, remember being on those plane rides. I remember we go up to Nebraska. There are two guys, uh, we get, they get hammered. They get beat by the cornhuskers. We get on the bus and a guy says to me, he says, Hey, how'd you play for him? And I said, uh, what do you mean? He goes, well, he's so hard. He can't, you, you know, he's on us. He's this. I said, let me ask you two things. I said, practice going to be hard tomorrow. And the kid said, yeah, it's going to be really hard. I said, all right, you got that figured out. I said, is he going to call you a MF or tomorrow a few times? Uh, yeah. I go, so there you go. You got it. It's it. I said, in between all that, he's trying to win. He's not trying to beat you down. So I, I love the challenge that he was putting on me. And the challenge on me was from that freshman year on, whether he thought I was going to be really good. I look back and he must have thought I was going to be really good. He put it on me every day, like every day. Why I didn't know everybody's strength and weakness, every player, every, you know, scouting report, every it never ended, which was good for me. 
I could run down my 12 guys on a team and tell you exactly why I wasn't throwing in the ball seven feet from the bucket, but three feet from the bucket, right? Every, but I got, I love that. I loved, you know, playing chess or whatever. That was, that was my world. So, you know, that's what I liked about him. He, now he was a big dude, held his chest out. So one of his pet peeves was when we went on the road, if we were, let's, let's pick Lincoln, Nebraska. We're going to have, let's say the game's at one. We're going to have early breakfast and we're going for a walk. And it's like 10 degrees outside, right? No one wants the to team go. would go for a walk. Yeah. Every place. I don't care. 10 degrees out. We're, you know, you can see us as college players, not really happy. He led the way though. And a car would go by and honk. And, uh, you know, Norm might say, hey, kiss my ass. Go get on your tractor, you cornhusker. Now, again, as players, you're like, all right, here we go. Game on. So, yeah, I appreciated those kind of things. There were a lot of players that fought him. I didn't fight him. I, I thought I thought he and I were on the same page. I'm pretty hard-headed, so there were some games we probably butted heads on the floor, right? Um, I always thought you could see something different on the floor than what they saw on the sideline. I wasn't convinced of that, and he wasn't convinced of that, but I would try to argue that what you're seeing isn't what's happening. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. Like, I, I look back, and it's interesting. People say all the time, like, I led the country in assists. I led the country in assists with the fewest minutes anyone's ever led the country in assists. <laughs> that year, I averaged, like, 26 minutes a game. Yeah. You know, I averaged 28 minutes a game at, at, at Notre Dame as a freshman. You know, even though the first four games I came off the bench, that's because my you drove Eddie crazy. I drove him crazy, but also, you know, like he uh, I was his whipping boy. I was the guy he could he couldn't yell at Desmond Mason. Desmond Mason was a great player and a great competitor. But if you yelled at him, you got on him. He took it personally and it wasn't wasn't great. Right. So if he got on to me, Desmond was kind of a protector and he would it would he like take up for his teammates. It was a really interesting dynamic. Um, but I got thrown out of a game, the UCLA, my UCLA game, only game I came back home to play at halftime, like right before halftime, I got a second tactical fouls, weird deal. Anyway. So I was in the doghouse for eight games and like, I went from averaging 14 and 11 to just like seven and nine assists or something. And, but, but, uh, I was always jealous of guys that didn't come out of the game because they didn't. So I had, I had, I did have one game. Um, we lost to Kansas the one time we played up in Lawrence and Joe Atkins, my two guard got hurt. He was the backup point. So the, the funniest thing happened senior day, we played Texas tech and that's uh, Rayford young was their star with Stan Bonowitz. It was a good team and we never lost to them, um, but they're coming to town and we don't have a backup point. Like literally no one who's brought, no one, those guys would never touch the ball, bringing the ball up the court. They knew that was not their domain and that was not what they did. <laughs> and so he just, I think just kind of knee jerk reaction. I would take a shot. And by, by that time, my career, my junior year, like literally if I missed a shot, I knew eh, I'm coming out regardless. If it was a good shot or bad shot because every shot became a bad shot. I was such a bad shooter at some point in time. That game I played 38 and a half minutes but I was taken out of the game five times and he would, he would take me out. And then the guys would literally argue with each other, like who would have to bring the ball up the court and tech finally tech got smart. And every time I was out, they press and it was, and he, you go back in there and do better. So, so you're basically my idol playing 38 minutes a game. 
Yes, um, I never. Now, okay, uh, again, and you would know this from from playing. Norm's, I mean, the two guys that worked the hardest in my four years were, were Stepanovich and myself. Like Steve, Steve was just a workhorse, one to be good, uh, just kind of stay out of his way, right? He didn't have time for the lollygagging. I never, after the one guy flunked out at semester my freshman year, I never lost a sprint ever. Um, yeah. No, Man, that, it's, it's a weird, it's, it is a, it's an interesting thing. Like, I, so I coach my son now, right? He's 12 and he's little, he's like me, he's a late bloomer. Um, and a little bit late to the AU scene, right? Like a lot of these kids, they start like third, fourth grade and it's, he's right. a little brother, but he has two older sisters. So he's not as kind of tough and scrappy as, as I was when I was a little brother. But, you know, one of the things I have always told him is like, look, I cannot make you taller. Okay. I cannot, you're better looking than I am, but I can't make you better looking. There's certain things you're not going to be able to do, but you know what you can do is you can win every sprint. Yeah. Okay. Cause, cause it's not really about how fast you are. I mean, one, he's pretty fast. You know, we, both of us were fast, you, you and me. Um, but it's just about like, Hey, you, you, you want to show people that you want to lead. You want to be point guard. You want to be your team. Those are the things you have to do. You got to be early and on time and ready to go. You got to not just tell people what you need to know everywhere, everybody's supposed to be at every play, and then you can win every sprint. Those are the things that you can control. The other thing, ball goes in, doesn't go in, doesn't, doesn't matter. And I think it's an interesting thing that I don't know. I remember, here's, a, here's one about Eddie Sutton that people don't know, never been told before. We, ran, we very, very seldom did we run lines. It was punishment or you ran the steps. We had, you had to, you go count those steps. I know how many there are. Come back and tell, right? And, but when we did run, he wasn't a stickler for guys touching the line. Wow. And I was like, That's it took problem. me like, it took me a couple of weeks to like, this is some bullshit here. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm a touch the, touch the line guy, right? Like if you're going to do it, touch the line. And I remember these guys like beating me at sprints, like, yo, they're missing the line by a yard. So he calls me in one day and he goes, uh, Hey, I noticed you haven't been winning the sprints as much once we started like practicing. And I said, um, coach, you know, listen, I, I won't happen again. And I didn't say anything about the lines. And he goes, I know they're missing the lines. Uh, like, you know, I see it, right? I was like, no, coach. I, I thought you, it's like, it's like, no, no this is, he, he goes, you know, in golf, he went into some story about golf. He's like, no, in golf, you call fouls on yourself, right? It's about your honor. And he goes, you think I don't see it? He's like, you don't think I, I know who's getting shots? You don't think I know who's touching the line? And I go, now, it's your job, if you want to run my team, to get them to touch the line. Not my job. You that? get them to touch the line. That's pretty good. And so I said, okay, coach. And after that, I started calling dudes out. Hey, motherfucker, touch the fucking line. Like, we touch lines here. And, and it flipped. And I had no idea. Like, I was – this is like – couple months into the season because we started he only ran really like christmas time when we come back from break we'd have he'd run we'd, we'd build up runs or whatever and i never i never forgot that and i haven't told that story that he was a weird it was a weird deal because guys were menacing lines and i was like i thought this was a discipline program we got discipline on our ass we're practicing and here we're not we're not disciplined and he's like i see it it's your job to make sure they touch the line 
but you know, those guys like Norm or Eddie, they, they didn't miss anything, right? They're not, they're not missing anything. No, we were a little opposite. We ran a lot. We ran a lot of lines. Like we ran the, the worst in our situation was if 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 Norm came down in the Hearn Center on floor number three, the third level, that's where his office was. And for some odd reason, you could tell if he wasn't in a good mood for whatever reason. <laughs> and the worst, the worst always is if he told the managers to put the balls up like away. And you thought, holy shit, oh, shit. Two, yeah. hours, two hours of defense and running like and, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you can't play the game without a ball. But there they go. Like there there go the balls. Look at him rocking down here. And then you would all look at each other like, all right, nobody talk back. Nobody, you know, everybody you dive on. I mean, you, you didn't want this to be a and there were no rules about time. Right. There were no limits on how long you could be there. We, we had rules, but we had a clock. If you remember old Gallagher, there's a clock behind. You looked up right behind one of the baskets. You looked up to the right before the, there's a clock and guys would be sitting there. We'd, we'd be at practice and practice would go in like two and a half, three hours. And dude's looking at the clock. And he'd go like, Pat Noy is one of the guys who died in the crash. He'd go, Pat, Snake, you go up there and cover up that clock. All these guys clock watching, like a couple bird dogs, clock watching. You go up and cover that. So, so you'd go in, and on the day of the game, they would have a sheet over the clock, and they'd remove the sheet from the clock. Like, like hey, that's – that's. so we did, we, when I played, we did have the 20-hour rule. It just was a very great 20 hours. We had no rules. And the only thing you concerned about when the balls went in was when he would tell the managers to call Charlie. Charlie ran the uh, food place where we ate, right? <laughs> tell Charlie to keep it open longer. And you thought. <laughs> Coach Sutton's was, he did, he would do, when he would be mad, uh, there was, there was a bunch of different things, but one was he would walk, he would, he would say, turn to the assistant and say, run them to their ankles, smoke. <laughs> and he would walk out of the gym. Oh wow! And coach had a heart. He right. had a heart. Guys would be like, "Coach, I'm I'm dying. I've been sick. I'm tired." <laughs> the assistant coaches, no heart, wow. soulless human beings. Wow! And they would like take turns on you. Um, this is my this is my favorite one. That's good. That we, the, the the academic strategy was basically this: you miss class, you will pay for it. You do not miss a class, not one class. So. Um, my senior year, we had a group of, because we had a big, we had like six scholarship seniors graduate. We had a bunch of dudes sitting out as transfers, Victor Williams, Kansas city kid from transfer from Illinois state, Antoine Broxy's transfer from Minnesota. Uh, he's coaching now in the, in the NBA. Um, we had Jason keep who wasn't sitting out. Right. But, uh, should have used a a junior college transfer from Idaho. Um, we had Dan Lawson who passed away in the crash. Uh, I'm trying to think if we have one more that was either sit out. And then Nate Fleming, who was a walk-on freshman, he died in the crash. Um, Nate was kind of with that group because he was the smart kid and he, we weren't cheating, but he was supposed to like make sure if we had a study session, he was supposed to be there and help lead them. Right. Right. So they all had a class Saturday morning. It's a four hour class. It's like, history like intro to history okay and basically it was like look it's a saturday class the worst you can do if you do your work is a b and if you know anything about how it works with trying to get a 2.0 four hours of a b four hours of an a like you're set you're set yeah right four hours of b you're pretty pretty good shape coach and 
it's not, there's again, not, no funny business. Like, look, this is the class. Everybody goes. So probably fourth, uh, eh, probably fifth or sixth weekend. We've been there. The football team plays Tulsa and it's 11 a.m. Start and their class is eight until noon. Right. So the rest of us, we go, we get a workout in the morning. We take a shower. We all have, we get something to eat. We walk over. We're in the like section where all the basketball players sit for the football games and here are the, the dummies. Right. And they're already there. We're like, yo, what are you guys doing? Where's your class? You had your class. Like, ah, <laughs> fuck that shit. Just it's one class. We're like, okay, sure. I was like, our expression was you fart on campus. He smells it in the office. Right? He knows everything. Yeah, yeah that's right. Ev- everything. Like you really think you're getting away with this? Like, bro, it's one class. It's on a Saturday. Who's going to that? So here comes Nate Fleming, like right before the game. He's like, hey, where were you guys? You guys were in class today. Like, what happened? Like, they let us out early anyway. Like, man, you guys should have been there. So they thought they got away with it. Not Sunday, we're off. Like, we play pickup ball in the gym. Guys work out, whatever. Great day. Monday, I had a test. And so my test was like, I don't know, four to six or something like that. And practice was at six. So I couldn't be there at the start of practice. I made sure coach was aware. They all knew it was good. I come walk into the gym at like 6.05 and all everyone outside of those guys are walking out fully dressed. And I'm like, yeah, what happened? They're like, oh, they canceled practice, but you got to go in there and see this shit. I was like, what do I got to see? He's like, just go see it. So I walk in and here's all these dudes on their shorts, <sighs> huffing and puffing. Victor Williams is crying, literally crying. I'm going to call my mom. Coach like, you call her. You tell her you skip class. <laughs> they had to do five sweet, five seventeens consecutively under a minute. And if they, anybody missed the time, they start over. And those poor dudes were there for an hour and 15 or whatever. But you know what they didn't do anymore? They didn't skip a class. No one skipped a class anymore. So it was weird. It was like this. There were parts of it, which it wasn't that they weren't disciplined. He would just kind of let it go just to kind of see. And there were parts of it, which there was intense discipline. And that kind of late. It was an interesting way of doing it. Right. Because some places are just everything is disciplined. Some places it feels like it's a free for all. It seemed like there was a little bit of a methodology to it. And every once in a while, he would let you know like who was boss and how he did things. And then it just organically took care of itself. How was he on the road? Like when you guys did a road trip, was he like with food and stuff like that? Because today's world's different, but how was he? Very, very relaxed. Coach Sutton was, again, these are the things. Didn't care what, we don't all have to wear the same sneakers. You better be Nikes. Everybody got the team shoe at the start of the year. And then the star player, like Desmond or Pete, they like got to tell him, hey, I want some Jordans. And suddenly they had Air Jordans. Like, and then, I, I never, I had a thing. If I lost the game, I'd never wore that sneaker in a game ever again. And so that was, that was, there was a little bit of juggling there and negotiating with, so the walk-ons, they had like one pair of shoes. So you, like you, we had a bunch of, you're part of the modern era. See, we weren't, we didn't get all that stuff. So, but again, but this was kind of the, the, the interesting part, you know, when he would do a deal where we play, like, I remember we played UT to San Antonio my senior year and we're up like 35 and we're running plays for Desmond. I'm like, coach, how about we run a couple of plays for 
for your boy here. Like, yeah, let me give him some confidence going like, we play Oklahoma. Who do we want shooting the basketball? I was like, well, that's Mason's like, well, that's who's going to shoot the ball against Texas San Antonio. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> that was yeah. his deal. So he was very, um, we didn't do the suit and tie thing. We did sweats. Right. Now, I mean, you had to, but like John McLeod was like, you would not play. You would not start if you didn't tuck in your chair. Like his things were crazy, but he was coach was pretty relaxed about stuff. You know, wasn't, wasn't I'll as regimented. I'll tell you a good one. And this, and, and, and oh, some have heard this, some haven't in the Missouri world. So I'm a junior. We've got a great team, but Norm Singleman, we went out on the road the night before a game. We had, we always had a chicken dinner somewhere, right? And he thought hungry dogs run faster. Okay. You get to eat after like seven o'clock and then you're done. Well, obviously he knows and we know that you can't just eat at seven o'clock until the next morning at 8 a.m., right? But in his world, you're not eating. So if you're, we're at Iowa State, a few of us sneak out and it's, you know, it's 20 friggin' below, but we're going to walk quite a long way to go find a cheeseburger, right? We're just going to find a cheeseburger. So we do. Some of the guys decided they'll just go right across the street. I was rooming with Prince Bridges, and Prince was a terrific backcourt mate of mine. Prince is now teaching basketball stuff in uh, Oklahoma City. So Prince was one of the guys that just went across the street. Unbeknownst to him that no coaches are sitting in whatever hotel, on whatever floor, looking out the window, playing cards. And Prince comes back, gets in the room. All of a sudden, about five minutes later, there's a knock on our door. And I get, you know, Prince is throwing his French fries and stuff under the bed. He can't be caught with any of this stuff. And it was Norm. And Norm walks in and, you know, our room smells like French fries, right? I mean, it's the Norm says, golly, I'm hungry. Prince, you got any fries you can share with me? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, boy. So get this. The next day, we're at Iowa State. And Iowa State's always good. And it's hard to win there. But we're the big boys coming in. I always tell people we, we were kind of like Kansas is now, right? When we were winning four championships in a row. Here we come. A couple of All-Americans. Here we come. Norm didn't coach us. He walked in before the game, kind of told us to kiss his rear end, F you guys, and he walked out. He said, you can't – you guys can't stand it. You can't stand just doing what you're supposed to do and left. So now we're all huddle up. We go out and play every time out. We'd get in the timeout. He'd look in the huddle, F you, F you, F you, F you, F you, and then walk out. So now the assistants are nervous, right? So we got the second half. It was a pretty good game. He pulls us in, still F us as we, we walk out. He's F you, and, but we had a good team. So we huddle up out there and I don't know if it was my idea or we had a senior Ricky Frazier that was off the chart good. We're not going to run. We ran a triangle offense, a triple post, which is what Tex Winter ran at K-State, then the Bulls. Well, that's what we ran. That's all we ran. It's all just a pass and cut movement. And we said we're not running. We're not running the offset is what we called it. We're going to just run a passing game. Now Norm's yelling us from the sideline. Now we're probably number three in the freaking country. Our guy's yelling us at the sideline. We got hard-headed dudes out on the court, and we we go about 10 straight buckets, and we win. <laughs> but, I mean, he he had this thing that he would just say, you can't stand not being able to follow orders, right? 
knowing that he probably knew half of us walked across six blocks in the cold to get a cheeseburger at nine o'clock. But the other guys did it right in front of him. So, yeah, that was one of the games he didn't coach. Like, I'll always tell him, I say, you know, you got one win short of what's on your record. Well, that, that was there was some amazing stuff in talking about his journey through Missouri. Um, in the next pod, we'll get to John's NBA career and some of the ups and downs and trials and tribulations. Uh, what it's like to be a first round draft pick, what it's like to be a rookie with a group full of veterans, what the expression is that he was taught in the NBA when he got a DNP CD, did not play coach's decision. In the meantime, I thanks to John for all his time. I thanks to you for downloading. Reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, on your iHeartRadio app, on FoxSportsRadio.com, on Sirius XM 217 or 203, Sirius 217, XM 203. In the meantime, tell a friend. Write a review. Share this on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. It's pretty good stuff. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. <laughs> 